On this week's episode, Lee Scott and I maintain broadcasting excellence while embracing the show's new one-hour format. Okay, well, we did did a mini part. We did a half hour. What are we doing? What are we doing the second half of this meaty, meaty episode one sixteen? Yeah. So I would just keep a, going with this, this actual crew episode. briefing. Um, okay, Scott, is there anything else you'd like to talk about? Uh. Airplane no. related? <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that really narrows it. That really narrows it down. Qualifier, any of that? Right. He had to think for a second, then yeah. I added that, and it's like, no, yeah. definitely not. <laughs> no. no, yeah, that really narrows it down. So no, no, I think I, I had some things, but then you, you really threw a wrench in my plan. Yeah. Okay, so Lee, you had something. Let's keep going. So um, keep yeah, it on, I mean, co- just, on yeah. topic here. Just briefings for... Welcome to this week's episode of the Far Aim Podcast. We, um, we're co- what are we covering, Lee? I forgot already. We're we going to pick up... Right before, we, um, right before we went in here. Yeah, we're going to pick up on a um, basically a thread in Pilot Ground going on, talking about basically different instructor techniques for brief, debrief... You know, involving kind of how the um, critical phases of flight play into sterile cockpit and how different instructors may have different mentalities about how they address things that come up in a normal, across the course of a normal lesson or a normal rating for somebody, how they address things that pop up, um, maybe missteps by the student or being outside the standards. Do they bring that up now? Do they bring it up later? in a debrief type situation. That's an ongoing conversation we've talked about, which kind of evolved into talking about what should be in your actual brief, you as a pilot, for like a departure or an arrival brief. So that's what I would hope we would, I hope we can cover today. Okay. Do we have the things? It was in pilot ground. This all started mm-hmm. in one of those threads that almost melts down the server. But they haven't charged uh, it, us more money for it. It's the servers when that happens. So we're Yeah, it was we're good. pretty good at the... The other mo- yesterday morning, I think it was. Do you remember anything specific to kick off the conversation from that? Because this is yeah, a, a so, pilot ground inspired episode here. Mm-hmm, yes, very. And requested. Yeah, in the conversation, it was kind of requested to go dive a little bit deeper. Um, so my philosophy, which of course is old school and I'm me, when so like let's say you're doing, depending on time and place, that's obviously that should be the general overtone. But like, let's say you're doing steep turns or turns around a point with a student, you can let them kind of meander their way through and be there enough to at least be a safety backstop, but let them get out of the standards and do the maneuver, do the whole lesson. You go in and land and you do a debrief. And so the instructor the whole time throughout the flight is sitting there making some notes or they have pre-written down. If I were to do this philosophy, I would have pre-written down common errors. And I would either put like a check mark or an X or a dot next to it, how many times it occurred or or a bigger, you know, like if you do like a pinprick for a dot, a little bit of a bigger one or a little bit bigger one as far as magnitude deviation, I would do something like that personally if I were to use that method. Um, but I'm more of a real time. If you're screwing up, um, oh, I guess what I should say, they would take those notes in the flight, hold them, do a half hour or so debrief everything you did wrong. Personally, I'm like, real time, let's correct this now. I don't want to waste the next half hour of you doing steep turns or turns around a point doing it wrong. Maybe getting a little bit better. Let me give you the pointers, tell you we're doing it wrong now, so that I can see progress by the end of the lesson, hopefully. Not the next lesson or next week. That's yes. my philosophy on it. Barbara was in. Um, I just, I would probably just wing it. I mean, I'd probably just say right away, try to walk through it, unless it's like, I don't know, it, it, it depends on the situation, but I don't have examples where I could go back and forth, but I feel like I just lean towards just saying it um, immediately, yeah. so it can just be corrected immediately. Right. But totally. Barbara was in the um, the the thread that started all this, and she's also in the live chat here. She says it was her CFI that shushed her, mm. that started the whole the whole thing. So she, I, I vaguely, this was all coming through my Apple Watch. 
And I remember was, the scenario, yeah. So it I was melting down my Apple Watch while I was at my day job, and I was trying mm-hmm. to keep up, and I couldn't. So I thought we'd make an episode out of it. Um, so, go ahead. Yeah, that, that's all I had. This, the scenario that prompted kind of that, that conversation was, and she can correct me if I'm wrong, but basically they were basically about to or were already rolling for takeoff, so I'm assuming power is applied, all that good stuff, and they had a displaced threshold, which means the runway and identifier lights were a little bit further down the runway for them. And if they're misaligned even a little bit, they can be very, you know, intrusive for, you know, you're trying to, you want to keep your, you don't want that, you don't want to be blinded by this bright strobe light. You know, obviously we all know what, what kind of effects that can have. So um, it was maybe misaligned a little bit or just whatever it was, um, was a little disruptive for her. And she made a comment or see if I, I guess, shushed her uh, while they're rolling. So how that scenario with what I said about steep turns, how would I handle that versus that particular instructor? I imagine that was a debrief item. Hey, you know, remember we talked about sterile cockpit uh, or whatever. That's a core tenant to our training program here, whatever it is. So that's, that's where, that's where it went. Are we getting the whole that's story though? Cause this could have been like, maybe he did do that like on, 20 other flight lessons and it's just it keeps happening so he just he just stopped well, like could be I don't know scenario Barb probably not but you're talking about like Barb what she yeah what do you mean or like or like say it's yeah like if it's something you've debriefed multiple times I'm not uh, accusing I'm not accusing Barbara yeah, um, well, that well, that was the comment I made is, is you know, basically not pointing a finger at her, but if the student is a repeat offender of breaking a certain thing, obviously, I need to start handling that a little bit differently. And how how much quicker can it, could you get the point across? Like, hey, let's focus on the task at hand here, and we can talk about that either in the debrief or in 15 seconds from now. I mean, that's shh, it's pretty universal. Yeah, yeah. I remember Don would walk through stuff like during landings, but there was a couple times where he grabbed the control, but it wasn't like a, a situation where he had to grab it because something was going to go bad. It was a situation like he told me a couple times, like, mm-hmm. do this right at this part of the flare. And like, mm-hmm. I wasn't doing it. So he mm-hmm. just like did it right when he wanted it done. And he's like, that's when it should happen. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's, that's, how I think we're all benefactors of basically that old school mentality and did it help us versus the, the newer techniques, which is more of a brief and debrief, you know, like in a brief evolving this conversation here, you know, you have both then. So you're going to talk, you're in the brief, you're going to talk about the lessons, expectations, common errors, you know, what, what they expect, what the standards are what they expect, you know, because obviously it's not going to be private pilot standards. It's going to have much more loose standards for that private pilot, student pilot lesson. And then you're going to kind of, you know, rein those in over the course of your training as you revisit that particular maneuver or, you know, whatever you're doing. Um, And so you would set all that out in your brief, try and conduct it, see if I would take his notes and then do the debrief. I just don't know how effective that is at the student pilot, private pilot level. Now, we get that that exact scenario at the airline transport pilot level as well. But I would think, you know, my faculties are a little bit more freed up to interpret. Like, I know I'm five knots off my airspeed. I know I'm 75 feet off my altitude. They don't even need to write that down. I know that, and I will remember that the whole check ride. The one time uh, the dude asked me, so how'd you do? And I just went down the list. Well, I circled a little. When I was doing the circle at a 3-1 right at JFK, I was a little bit wide, and then I I kept my same standard rate of descent going, which means I ended up low, and ta- I was a little. I ended up a little bit fast because I added power to soften or you know cover more ground to make up for it, and I just went down the list, the whole check ride. He's like, well, that's pretty much it. You debriefed yourself. And because I, you know, I've done that check ride so many times and I'm pretty, you know, flying 300, 400 hours a year, 
I have, I'm freed up. I don't have to concentrate on all the little things of flying the airplane anymore or that instrument scan or whatever. So I can think about the big picture more and I can retain it for kind of long, long term uh, storage in my memory. And when we get down to the, uh, to the debrief, you know, two hours later, four hours later, if there's two of us, um, we'll, we'll both do a two hour check ride. I can almost remember everything I did wrong. And there are things on there that I'll bring up that are like, ah, I, I wouldn't even worry about that. And it's like, you know, the, they didn't even write down. So I know that that is how we do it. And I think that makes better sense then. But when you're trying to right now get somebody from A to B, I don't want to spend, you know, if their lesson is a $200 lesson, $200 an hour lesson, I don't want them to spend, you know, $120 more of it doing it wrong. I want a corrective action now, and maybe they can't actually physically correct how they're manipulating the controls and whatever, but I want to see, I at least want to start feeding in those elements um, then, and hopefully, maybe by the end of the lesson, if we just keep knocking out steep turns, for example, there's some improvement, but you got to address it real time, in my opinion, or you're you're wasting some of their money. Yeah. Scott, I... Had a few different CFIs, so I'm trying to think of what Don did. Do you remember what how Don did the the brief and the debriefs and stuff for the actual lessons? I know he he did an informal one, but I like my memory. I don't even remember what was discussed. It was so long ago. Yeah, I don't know. It was informal. Like just we got done, and he. I feel like it was only like a few minutes. It wasn't like we sat down and talked for long periods of time. I mean, it was occasions where we did, but most of the time it wasn't. His way of teaching he was involved very few words too. Like even in the in the plane while we're flying and during yeah. brief and debriefs. I don't know if that was I wish I would have the ability if I did actively use my CFI to be like that. But I don't even know how you do that. I feel like I'd be talking like crazy to try to explain stuff and probably over explaining it. Where he's just like, Do this. No, 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 like this. Okay, that's good. And like, mm. I don't know, it was great. Like spoke, yeah, that's that's quite a skill. He spoke gr- like it was good when he was talking. It's just like looking back, I do remember he didn't speak that much. It was similar yeah. to like how my dad taught me how to run a boat. Very few words were spoken unless words were only used yeah. when necessary. He wasn't he wasn't that real chatty, mm-hmm. I don't think. I don't know. I don't remember. It's yeah, been yeah, too maybe long. that's where I've been getting it wrong all this time talking too much so Lee how would you typically what would you put in in a in your briefs like pre-flight or or and post-flight like when you were CFI I know I did very little on the brief and the debrief it's pretty much what I I did not have the structure that you know like now I would go at it with a totally different structure I would talk about you know the things I just said, you know, kind of the common errors and, you know, this, hey, let's try and keep your steep turns, you know, within 200 feet, not the 100 foot standard, uh, whatever, you know, I'd, I'd set kind of those things out there at the, in the brief and and talk about, you know, all the other expectations and then just go knock them out. Now that sounds like that's very minimal, but I was probably even more minimal than that back in the day. Um, we're going to go do steep turns and your brief can be a lot more lax when you know that you're going to correct it real time. Now I probably did talk a lot more than Don did, but I was very hands-on in terms of like, let's do that. I'm going to follow through this steep turn with you and I'm going to wean off until you're doing it. And then I'll just give it a little, like if you're sinking, I'll just give it a little kick back on the, on the yoke to keep your altitude, keep your nose up. I would do things like that just all the way through the landing. I'm right there with you the whole time. And then as time goes on, give them more and more of a leash. And, you know, obviously even though they've gone through, you know, solo, solo cross countries, and then they get into like, um, they're about ready for their check ride, but it's blown 25 knots. You know, it's crosswind and gusting up to 25. They still need some tr- some form of like training wheels uh, at that point and let them explore some limits, but be right there and just be ready to kick in that crosswind correction for them. Um, I-, I think my briefs would be doing it over. I'd have to do it a little bit to see if I really want to change how I- how I think I would do it now. Or how I thought I did it before, I would probably start there and see if I, I f- saw a need for changing it. 
Because if I'm going to go be hands-on in the plane, I don't know that I need to give you a half-hour debrief. Because theoretically, that's like billable hours and stuff. Let's just go get flying. That's the part that everybody wants to do. So let's go do that. I'm right here with you. And let's figure this out. If it required theory, and maybe that's where I'd go with the debrief, you know, I'd have a minimal brief. We're going to go do steep turns today. Let's go pre-flight and let's go. Um, and then a debrief, maybe a little bit of a heavier debrief to um, this is what was happening. Hey, remember when when you lost this, mu- this much altitude and your airspeed went up? Well, that's because you you put too much bank in and then, you know, load factor went up. So, then you know, all that stuff. So you'd start getting to the dry erase board at that point in the debrief. Then they go home, drive home. Think about it, chair fly a little bit, think about the lesson again, and then they'll come back a lot better prepared. But I would, yeah, I'd probably, yeah, minimal, minimal brief, pretty hands on lesson, maybe a moderate debrief. But things that go wrong in the lesson, I want to address immediately. That's how, yeah, that's how I do it. I hate to, yeah. I hate to do it because it almost like wraps up. The conversation point, we have 44 minutes and 35 seconds left. Scott, what are you feeling? I feel like we should announce something, like your new preferred method of communication, um, which is eBay Messenger. Yes, but don't give out my eBay name. Uh, okay. We have on previous episodes, though. Yeah, well, if somebody wants to look it up, I just I'm feel sure like that'd be funny. It, but, but yeah, my new... Method of communication is is none, I believe. Uh, eventually, <laughs> uh, eventually it is. Eventually, I plan on getting rid of all forms of communication at some point in my life, like complete, yeah. completely. It's like my goal. You've got the you've got the camper already, so you can just go somewhere. Right, where I can, there's no where there's no service, where there's no internet. Yeah, no cell service, no internet. Okay. That's the plan, eventually. Zero connectivity. Yes. Totally. Lee, did you find anything in the chat to to save this? I thought that would be more of an in-depth discussion we could do an episode on. Well, I mean, we can talk about brief. So it it did kind of segue into uh, the actual brief that we're giving uh, as pilots. So, like, if you're, you know, talking single pilot stuff and, and how as a Student pilot with career aspirations in aviation, maybe your tactic on your brief should be a little bit different. Um, and you'll typically, uh, through your earlier ratings and certifications, you'll have a CFI with you a lot. And so you can kind of treat them as a crew member. And that's that's always kind of cool. But yeah, having those briefings, how lengthy do they need to be? That's where that's I mean, that's where we went. I don't know if you want to go there or not. Yeah, yeah. Like so Let's pretend we have our private pilot's license now. Okay. And like, we're not in the instruction environment anymore. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to legally brief your passengers before every flight, right? Yeah. Which yeah, everyone does. Safety briefing. What is, not like legally binding, but what can you think of, back from the GA days, of like, what what's required for that? I'm sure Scott can follow up because he, he does that a lot, too. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. The resident yeah. expert, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know a lot Got of stuff. Got your milk jug? Check. Yep. Good to go. Yeah. I, I was just going to ask you, ask Lee so that, you know, once Scott speaks, there'll be nothing left to, to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Let me get first crack yeah, at it. Yeah. So yeah. I'm off. I get my, my minutes in. Yeah. I tend, to, I tend to go on and on about stuff like that, you know, regs and safety stuff. Yeah. So, I can't help but talk. I don't know what the hell my problem is. Yeah, I know. God, I, know. I don't have that problem. So, Lee, what? <laughs> so, no, you don't. Sometimes, no, like, what do you? Uh, unless I'm buzzed up, but if I'm not like drunk, then I don't. Yeah, I don't I'm, like to talk. I'm working. On, I'm working on that now. Sip up, Scott Lee. Yeah. What are, What are we doing for our brief, our passenger brief before a flight? Well, you know, we used to have, or I used to have, like a little bit of an acronym, or you know, not even a, not even an acronym or a mnemonic, but like just a, a bullet pointed memory aid. But I don't remember what it is now. But I first, um, 
in the so in the Lear, so I actually I'm starting to fly with a new I'm doing IOE with an, with a, a new FO right now. So I'm doing all the pastor briefings, even on the pilot flying as well. So normally the pilot monitoring gives the brief, uh, the pa- safety briefing. So I'm I'm doing them. But anyways, I'm going to talk about emergency exits, no smoking. Um, so so you can start with federal aviation require um, compliance with lighted signs, post placards, crew member instructions. Um, keep your seatbelt fast, take off landing anytime the seatbelt sign is on. Two emergency exits. There's the one you came in through, and then there's one on the aircraft right, fl- a life vest underneath the seats. Oxygen mask drop from the center. Uh, fire extinguisher on the aircraft left back bulkhead. Two fire extinguishers up front. Um, that's, I mean, that's that's pretty much that's that's our brief for the most part. You can every airplane typically has a briefing card, and that's what I tell the new guys is you can act like you are showing them the briefing card, just like a flight attendant on a major airline, but it can also just be your bullet points about what to talk about. So it's all inclusive for the most part. So it can be your cheat sheet while you act like you are showing it to them. So I've just done it enough. I have a little bit of a little bit of a spiel, but is that what the stewards and stewardesses do on flights? Shut your mouth. I know you're trying to do. <laughs> I know you're trying to bait me. Um so yeah, that so that's what you do like in the Lear. Mm-hmm. Do you legally have to point out the exits and say no smoking when it's you're in a 150. I mean, Scott's maybe because he's got ashtrays in it still, but yeah. I'm talking like a, you get in a new Cirrus. You got to, you legally have to say that at the beginning of the flight, you know, no smoking. Isn't I that only know, if it's a I commercial would, flight? Would, that's only if it's a commercial flight because yeah. you can smoke in your own airplane. Right. There is an ashtray. That's and true. They were smoking yeah. and drinking wine on the Concorde. Right. You know, the pilots. Um. So, yeah, it's a yeah, time of place. Oh, I know. Can you imagine? Oh, I wanted the red wine, not the white wine. Yeah, that'd be insane. But smoking, the, uh, smoking a cigar, sipping on rum, right? With four, oh, yeah. four stripes on your shoulder and the right. flight deck of the Concorde. That's right. <laughs> Were they yep. allowed to, or they just did it? I, thought, I don't know. I've heard stories. I assume they were just. I don't know. I guess they probably just did it. Well, I've never heard this. I like guess the they, Concorde pilots were a bunch of could, alcoholics. What's the, what's the legal limit for? Is it point oh four or something like that, or point oh two? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's point oh four. Point oh four. Oh, they could have a glass of wine. It'd be fine. Yeah, but, yeah, it's but it's still eight, eight hours. hours. So is you it, can't is it either ride. or? No. Either no. or. You have to have. I can see Scott in court. Um, Your Honor, I'm sorry, I misread that. So if I have one beer, I, I thought can't it was whichever fly. was greater. Right. So if yes. I have one beer, for I can't fly hours. for eight hours? Yes. Correct. That's ridiculous. That rule's been around forever. Yeah. I thought it's that was more of like a recommendation. Right We've had this conversation 30 How many times, times have I broke that rule? What there if I no, straight? There's no reg in the far end book that Scott has studied more than that one. He can probably if, recite the number for us. I wouldn't be surprised. What if, uh, what if I blow straight zeros? Let's say a hypothetical situation. It's still eight I have, hours. Let's say a hypothetical situation. This has never happened before, but mm-hmm. I had a beer or two at lunch, and then like five hours later, I go for a flight. That's illegal, even though I'm straight zeros, guaranteed. I could take a blood test, and it would show there's no alcohol in my system, but mm-hmm. it's still it's eight still hours. illegal. It's eight yeah, hours. so where and so there's kind of another layer to the eight hour thing. So like, let's say you just compl- get completely blasted, and eight hours is still elapsed, but you're still feeling the eight hours. Then is eight hours from your last symptom of intoxication. Mm, so like yes. that, I I know that's a thing. So yeah, it's it it gets it gets. It gets it gets slippery, but yeah, it's eight hours bottle to throttle. So that first drop of alcohol, you know, well, basically that, I mean, the one drop of drop. alcohol starts the clock for eight hours. The last yeah. drop is, yeah, right, right. That's when it would, but if you had one drop, that would still start the clock. Yeah, one I drop, mean, one drop only still starts the clock, unfortunately. Yeah. That's this crazy. is good. Does anybody know the reg for that? That should be the one reg Scott has memorized. I don't have a, no, look, I don't know. Scott, look it up. We get... My main point of going down this this side trail here 
Where did you hear that about the Concord pilots? I've never heard about that. I've heard it multiple times. Like uh, that was a completely, and maybe it was just based on, you know, just BS. You know what I mean? But I've heard it. It was just a foregone conclusion. That's what they did. Okay. Anybody, if anybody knows, post it in pilot ground. Any evidence of this? Any articles on this? If you're not on pilot ground, email Lee, F-A-R-A-I-M at Lee Griffin.com. Um, don't email Scott. You can message him on eBay, though. No. We're not allowed unless to say Unless you're his, trying to buy something. His, uh, unless, no. Not even if you're trying to buy anything airplane part-wise. Well, only if it's a good question. You try to buy an air part. Yeah. No, no messaging. Scott's eliminating all communication, including the air part business he has. No, I will communicate through that, but only if you're trying to buy something. Okay. Anyway. Um... I'm off the grid. Do do I don't even have now. electricity now we here. Have a private, you notice not... my, my boob light's not even lit up. I disconnected the power. I don't even power. Disconnected. It's going Amish. Yeah. Um, you're not doing debriefs once you have your private with your passengers. Is that a thing? There's no way that's a thing. Right? What's that? Like we're debriefing. I'm reading I'm, the chat. So are I'm you talking guys talking to, Lee. to me or no? I'm talking oh. to Lee, yeah. You have we, to address... Hey, Lee. Hey Lee, you know I'm, you can see I'm deep in thought here. What's up? Um, debrief once yes. you're private with passengers. There's no debrief, right? You're supposed to brief passengers. Yeah, you're giving them a safety briefing. Yeah, safety it's not briefing. it's not the same. We're talking about performance metrics. Brief debrief would be okay. the CFI. Yeah, yeah. So oh, then if you start talking about like other than that, other than that role, student and instructor, there should be no. What's a, what's a what's a somebody just riding along with you gonna tell you? Yeah, it was a great landing. Yeah, you should have flared a little little lower. Yeah, I mean, like, what do you expect out of them? Yeah, what about so, your yeah, job? Just, you do briefings at your job, though. We do a safety briefing. Yeah. Well, okay. no. So yeah, us the the crew we do a crew, departure yeah. briefing. No, yeah. I'm talking we passengers. Do Plane could be empty right now. You're still doing briefings with, with you the and the first officer. Crew. Yes. Yep, crew brief. We do it. We do a, a brief. We do a well. So with an IOE, we'll do a debrief. We should be doing a somewhat of a debrief all the time. It's not required by any sense, but just to keep everybody honest, keep everybody learning, we should be doing somewhat of a, of a debrief. And I kind of do that to set uh, only about myself. I'm not going to critique somebody else really, unless it's um, a day where I am kind of. Um, doing my training captain role, which that's my job is to kind of critique you um, and stuff. But yeah, we just, yeah, do the departure briefing. And uh, of course, if we're up at, you know, coming in, we do an arrival briefing as well. Departure and arrival briefing, safety briefing for the passengers. This says they raised it to 12 hours. Did they? When did that happen? No. The new rule called Bottle to Throttle states that pilots must stop drinking alcohol at least 12 hours before they fly. What's the FAR part? Yeah, I don't know. This is just Google. We should do an episode on this. Scott, have you gotten a breathalyzer test yet? We've been talking about this for a while. One that actually works and is accurate. (sighs) I bought one, but it didn't work. Yeah, you paid three dollars for it on eBay. And yes, it but shockingly didn't. Yes, work. but it was like a fifty dollar one new, so. so that's pretty good. Yeah, people sell. People typically sell fifty dollar items for three dollars on eBay when they're you can find spectacularly. it spectacularly. You can find it sometimes. All right, it's not unheard of. Okay, well, we did did a mini part. We did a half hour. What are we doing? What are we doing the second half of this meaty? meaty episode 116 so i would just keep going with this this actual crew briefing um okay scott is there anything else you'd like to talk about uh airplane related (laughs) oh yeah that really narrows it that really narrows it down right she had to think for a second then i added that and it's like no definitely not (laughs) no no yeah that really narrows it down so no no i think uh I had some things, but then you you really threw a wrench in my plan. Yeah. Okay. So Lee, you had something. Let's keep going. Um, keep yeah, it so on, I mean, just, on yeah. topic here. Just briefings for 
the um like departure briefing is kind of one of the bigger ones it is a very i think it's just by nature the arrival briefing is pared down and of course the type of operation you're conducting huge impact on what you're going to cover um so me like if you go like way in depth for the type of operations we're going to be doing which is ifr maybe low ifr maybe icing maybe convective activity all those things would be kind of in the specials category so which i'll talk about here in a second but I try to keep it simple. So there's 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 people that I hear. So when you're talking transport category aircraft, you know, you have proven takeoff performance. So if an engine fails at our decision speed, we'll continue to take off on one engine and then climb out, clean it up, get everything get reconfigured, secure the engine, whatever what have you, and come back and land at that airport if it's VMC or good enough, or we'll go to our takeoff alternate. So we have segments to our takeoff, and, and I, th- I think even for an aspiring career pilot, it's probably a good idea to think about your, your single engine even, break down that takeoff into segments. You know, okay, up to this point on the runway, I need to have how many knots to reject the takeoff and be able to roll out on the remaining runway. Okay, let's say we get this thing all the way airborne, and then something happens. At what altitude am I going to land straight ahead, or I'm going to make this turn to this field, or I'm going to try? At what altitude am I going to try and turn back around and land the opposite direction I took off? Have that. I think that should all be in your mind. How you would we take it for granted? These engines are always working. Um, and I know we talk about oh, it's safe as just land straight ahead or land on runway remaining. Well, if you're operating like let's say out of hind. You know, and you have 2,500 feet, yeah, 150 might be fine. You know, you can roll out on what you have left, or you um, can land straight ahead or a little bit off to the left, whatever the hell. But um, depending on the performance of your airplane, how much of that runway do you have left ahead of you, depending on, you know, what's going on. So be thinking about those characteristics of the airplane that you're flying, where you're flying it out of, I think. Because when you get to transport category, we do break the takeoff down into segments. So one thing that happens is guys will be doing a departure briefing and they will go talk about like, oh, standard abort criteria. And then they'll go on to list it. And it's like, dude, I already checked out. You just said standard abort criteria. We all know what that means. You don't need to go on and retell me the same stuff we all say all the time. So that's one thing. It's great to go super lengthy, in-depth, and does it get people on the same page? It can to an extent, but they can also check out two minutes in. You know what I mean? So that's, I say, keep it short and sweet. Hit the high points. Be inclusive. Get all uh, get all the, the elements in there that you want that, that can be catastrophic or more than nice-to-know information. And don't try and include every little detail because you can't keep track of all that anyways when there's an actual emergency. So hit the high points, address the biggest threat and rock and roll, I think. How When you guys went to um, the Keys, what kind of brief did he do? Did he brief you at all, do a safety briefing? Um, I, I don't remember. You're just I happy to be in an airplane again, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, he he was pretty, he was good, like by the book pilot. So like, there's some guys I fly with. There's like I don't remember it, but I assume no way. With this gentleman, he may have. I just I just don't recall if he if he did or not. He very may well may have done a, a small brief. I just yeah. If nothing else, how to get the door open? You know what I mean. Yeah. That's a pretty big deal. Yep. I had I had an idea we could run with for twenty six more minutes. What's up? Make a make a procedure, mm-hmm. like a brief type thing that Scott could work walk through for the one fifty departing hind airport out to the east of like okay. when the engine failure is gonna gonna mm-hmm. happen. Okay. Mm. So Scott, you're on the west end, okay? Yep. What runway is that? What number? I forget. One uh, That would be 11. Okay. So you're on, on runway 11, 88 Delta. 
in your 150. You're going to take off full throttle at 10 knots. You have an engine failure. What do you do? Um, just stop. Yeah. Okay. Let's now I'll kick it up a notch. 20 knots in engine failure. Just stop. 30. Same. 40. Yeah, I can get it stopped still. 50. I'm pretty sure I could still get it stopped. I think you could too. Yeah. 69. I, I, I don't have, I, I'd have to go out there and, and do it because I, I, my sight picture is not up to date. So I don't fly enough, but I'm pretty sure I could probably still get it. But this, so, but that's indicative of most people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like if I was on the runway, I feel like I could make a pretty decent call as to whether I could get it stopped or not. Yeah. Um, I feel like but that's even pretty at, hard because one of the things like I feel like at at sixty, that, I, you know, I might even have the wheels off the ground, but if the I could still get it stopped. I'm pretty sure. If it was a dry runway and you got off at a, in a reasonable amount of time, like it wasn't a high density situation or it wasn't wet that slowed you down. Or if the runway conditions are good and the weather conditions are good, the performance is above average. Um, you'll be up prior to halfway down the runway. Right. Yeah. And you could chop it on that particular strip. Yeah. And, and be fine still. At what point, Scott, are you no longer thinking about putting it back down on the runway? is what I was getting at by slowly ramping it up. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it depends on my my altitude and speed. Uh, uh, go on your, go on your I, mic, I can't hear you. I guess it depends on my altitude and speed. I don't know. I mean, I don't know that there's an exact distance down the runway for that because depending on the conditions, you're going to be at a different altitude. Yeah. You know, talking no no wind situations. Okay, go ahead. Well, okay. So I, I don't know. I mean, it depends on how high I am. So, okay. okay. So let's think about this a different way, Scott, is how high don't doesn't matter like how high. Mm, let's say how high could you be at 60% of the runway? So you have 40% left. How high can you be and you think you'd still be okay to get it down and stopped? Ooh, I don't know. Is that Rob? Is that kind of is that an okay? Well, okay. Yeah. I'm just We're trying to. If, I'm just if trying I'm, to play out different going, situations. Yeah. If I'm going to the east, I'm really going to try to push yes. it back on that runway because there's nowhere else to go. It's railroad tracks and trees. Right. So, I'm probably going to just. Yes. I'm probably just going to push it down to the runway and just if I have to, kind of force it into the ground a little bit, I'd probably do that. There's no spots in the, if you had to, the Firelands College parking lot or arboretum well, in there? I mean, if you yeah, had enough. Yeah, you're way you, high. If you're high if enough you, to get over there, you have so many options. Yeah, if I'm high enough to get over there, I'm I, I'm not worried about it. But if I'm still above the runway, if I'm only 60% down the runway, yeah, I'm, not high, I'm not high enough to get to Firelands. So my only other option is to try to set it down on the road. So I'm tracks. saying... So this is what I'm trying to paint. So if you got to 30 feet above the runway, you're well established in basically like a VX climb, like whatever that is, 65 miles an hour or so. At 30 feet, engine quits. I mean, what are you going to do, right? You don't have any other 30, options. 30 feet above the ground level? I'm trying I, to find... I would get it yep. back to the runway. Nose is up. You're doing 65 miles an hour. You're yeah. 30 feet high. I, with I 40% of the down. runway to go. I could get it back down. I'm pretty confident. And not cause any damage to, like, you wouldn't roll yeah, off I, to the, yeah, the guardrail there. Yeah, no, I, I think I could do that. Okay. Worst case scenario. So that's, now, so that's really what I want to know. Yeah. Go ahead, Scott. I mean, worst case scenario, the trees are cleared out now, so there's just kind of like a big drop-off down into a ditch at the end. So. Oh, that sounds lovely. It wouldn't be that bad if I if I got to the end of the runway. I'm still doing 15 miles an hour. It's not. I'm. I'm it's gonna, it might bust up the plane, but I'm not going to die. You know. Yeah, hundred percent. It's not like I'm crashing into a wall of trees anymore. Yeah. yeah. My grandpa always used to say it's better to roll off the end at 15 miles an hour than hit it's a bunch of trees like a, at 60. Yeah, it's it's kind of a 
valley now. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's more of like instead of like a woods line, it's just like a a valley. Like I might even be able to go down it without even damaging the plane. I don't know. As long as I can get a stop I right creek, that it's down there. Your dog was having a rough time going up and down it. Like not a rough well, time, but it was I, I don't know what, fairly steep for I don't the know dog last to time go up and down. Seen it like my dad mows it now, so I feel like if the mower can do it, it's. Oh really? I, huh. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure when the last better. time you've seen it. Yeah, I saw it last summer. It's not a dirt cliff anymore. Yeah, it was probably a dirt cliff uh, still. Okay. Now it's kind of yeah, like it was a, a dirt grassy cliff. hill. Yeah. Okay, we're a little higher now. We're, we're we're past the end of the runway, but we're right on that threshold. Like you, if you were to look straight down, you'd see the end of the runway. And then your engine fails. But now that the what are your that Vero tracks used do? to have power lines down the side of them, but they took those down, so it, it wouldn't be as bad. But there yeah. are the I, I would agree with that. There are the lights at the they have a switch track like there too. So you either want to get it stopped before or after the switch track because that could be a problem. That and cars driving over it. Well, yeah, yeah. They should stop for you though. I'm trying to think of. Oh, yeah. Plane, cars going over road tracks are always looking up in the air to make sure there's not a plane about to hit yeah. them. Yeah, well, they should be. That's my that's my argument with landing on the highway. It's my same argument. Nobody liked nah, it. Nah, you got to see okay. it. I mean, I, you're gonna, you can merge with traffic. It'll be all right. Every, every highway video, every highway emergency landing video I've seen has worked out pretty well. I haven't seen any bad ones. Yeah, you land yeah. with the traffic. Yeah, you land yeah. with the traffic. Right. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Okay. So you're high enough. You hit yeah, that field true. across Rye Beach Road. I know what you're talking about in that industrial development. Let's say you're yeah. taking off, and that's like, although it's not as good as it used to be, because now there's a bunch of businesses over there now. So that might be a little sketchier. I don't know. It used to be open, but. What's your next option yeah, after that? Not, if that's not, you've gone too far uh, and too high the, to hit that. The, there's a, a field like behind be, between uh, Woodlands and Wexford. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, Woodlands and Wexford. Yeah. That that field? Nice. We're that's getting... a pretty good sized field. Yeah. Okay. Lee, how, how would you yeah. compartmentalize this for like... People who aren't flying in and out of 88 Delta and don't need exact local knowledge. I know I know Jared's taking notes right now, but everyone else is probably like bored well, out of right. her mind. I'm thinking about that. Yeah, I'm thinking about that a lot because like I think about when I'm going to go somewhere new, man. I'm, I'm really concerned about infrastructure and stuff like that. Like we know 88 Delta, so we know he's going to be fine. But like on being on the other other side of it, like I'm going somewhere I don't know. How much can I, how much information can I glean from you know, uh, Google Earth, you know what I mean? And making it 3D and, and looking at what's going on and uh, and whatever fuel he's going to land with weight-wise, temperature, all that good stuff. But um, I think the, the what you want to think about is obviously that how much of your – how much speed do you need to have by about that midway point? They say like 70 80% by 50% of the runway remaining. And that's obviously a good metric. Um but you, what is what is seventy or eighty percent of flying speed? Are you doing a normal takeoff and you're look you're in an Archer or Cherokee type one seventy two type thing, and you want you want to see sixty knots before you rotate? That might be tough to achieve sometimes. At what the the POH may say, oh, it's a no brainer, you can do it. But if you're just not going through all the way using the the airplane, doing your flaps correctly rotating correctly, um, getting in ground effect, doing all those short and soft field techniques correctly, you're not you're not gonna extract the performance out of it that they say you should. So if you're just gonna like, yeah, oh, we all know a Cherokee can do, you know, eighteen hundred feet or sixteen hundred feet, but that's not just you can't you can't be lax about it. You gotta you gotta do the procedures correctly to eke out all that performance, especially if you have obstacles and all that stuff. You can, it's just not another day uh, taking off a of pavement. 
So I just you need to know what that fifth what that speed is. Like what is 80? What is my liftoff speed? Not just that, oh, rotate at 60 knots. Well, yeah, but your liftoff speed could probably be 48 knots, could probably be 50 knots. Obviously, it depends on weight and other conditions, but it's, it could be much, much lower than just like people are just taught like, oh, I was taught not to even pull on the yoke until 60 knots. Well, that's great, but you're just going to chew up a shit ton of runway and it can just cause other problems because everything that when you rotate, that starts your line um, like your, your, uh, your climb gradient that starts that line is when you I leave remember- the ground. I, I was flying with someone once. I was flying with someone once, and we were not going very fast. I don't remember how fast we were going, but not very fast. And he was just like, watch this. It'll fly right now. And he yanked all the way back on the yoke, and that thing jumped up like 20 feet in the air, and it settled back down a little bit, and then it, it took off. What kind of aircraft? But at the time, I was like, my 150. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, Rob, you like, talk about stories, like you know, where the airspeed indicator isn't moving, you know, and you're still, obviously, I know the, the banner had some physics involved, but there's there's things happening. The airplanes can fly much slower than a lot of people think they can if they do the procedures correctly. Not to be interpreted. Flap in, settings and stuff. Always do your stall avoidance techniques. Yeah, follow the manufacturer's recommended procedures, but if you're taught 60 knots or 60 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour for rotation, that is going to just leave runway behind you that completely alters your climb gradient for clearing that obstacle and presents issues further down the runway or further down your flight path, if you will. So you you can't just have your feet crossed trying to do some of these things and get book per, use book performance numbers but not do the book procedures to get those numbers um that that's i guess my point yeah but have in your mind that 70 80 percent of 50 percent with 50 percent of your runway left because that gives you obviously plenty of time to you know roll out on what's remaining what's something a lot of people don't think about is oh yeah, I got fifty percent left. Uh, I'm good. I can I can easily if I got to that speed, I should be able to slow back down to zero. But what you don't understand is when you start braking and you start unloading the brakes, that note that no strut kind of collapses a little bit. You get light on your main gear, which is where your brakes are, and so you you could end up with you have decrease your braking ability is decreased. And you don't necessarily think think that it would be. You're used to your car where you have front disc brakes. So when you squat that, you know, you're it's all digging in. You squat that nose down, it's all digging in. Those brakes are basically as effective, if not more, than they were normally. That's why you have big front brakes. Well, we don't have that advantage in airplanes. You have the flaps creating lift if you're doing a soft field takeoff. And so your your brake, your those main wheels where the where the uh, brakes are, they're light. And so you could have some controllability if it's crosswind and gusty and you're still trying to actually aerodynamically fly the airplane a little bit because you had enough to maybe raise a wing, enough uh, forward speed to raise a wing, but not quite enough to take off and stuff. And now you got to scrub all that while maintaining directional control. It's not as easy sometimes as you think. In a light GA airplane of 172 and a Cherokee, it's probably all great. But you go a next step up, you start talking like a – a Seminole or an Aztec Apache, something like that that's got, you know, a, a, almost a 100-mile-an-hour type of liftoff, night and day different. You chew up a lot of runway doing a rejected takeoff. And I know that's foreign to a lot of people, but, yeah, you can get to that speed quick because you've got a lot of your high performance, right? You can get to that speed quick, and that's a good thing because when if you lose one basically right at your decision point, your decision speed, what have you, you use a ton of runway getting it slowed back down because of controllability. And just obviously inertia, all that normal stuff, but you don't have the braking that you're used to. Is this the main thing? Because you guys do this, you guys do the actual calculation on the uh, transport category aircraft, as you mm-hmm. like to call it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you haven't brought up the transport category term in a while, I feel like, in my editing. I brought it up okay. earlier. You just don't listen yeah, when I, I talk. I, I listen to it when I edit it. 
I feel like I, I've edited for 12 hours plus today. So I feel like I've talked to Lee and Scott and Jeff Denovich and Ryan Eckel a lot today, even though I haven't. And they, they don't have the same experience with me. So I feel like we've been chatting all day, guys. Um, <laughs> that is, is weird. Is, uh, is, um, I'm so sorry for is your this the one of the main takeaways from transport that like GA should be doing on their briefs is engine failure. I feel like it's over, it's touched on in all GA training, single engine stuff. That's obviously the multi-engine training involves yeah. one engine out, mm-hmm. out of the two yeah, and yeah. those calculations. But I mean, that's, I feel like it's more critical with a single engine piston than it is a multi-turbine transport category plane. And it's briefed and thought about way more in that multi-engine turbine plane than it is the single-engine piston. That's way more likely to have a catastrophic engine failure. Yeah, that, that isn't that paradoxical? Yeah, you know, it's just like a foregone conclusion. Oh, if we lose one. Should it be briefed? Yeah, if we lose one at 300 feet, we're going to land straight ahead, come hell or high water, because there's nothing else we can do. There's no other options. Um at 800 feet, we can probably return back to the airport, maybe. I, like, I don't know. I know if people think, like, oh, at a certain altitude, you can do it. And I don't know if it's 800 feet. It doesn't matter to me. I'm just throwing out numbers for the sake of conversation. It should be thought more than just we're landing straight ahead, maybe. Um, probably. We, we deal with it. Um, it's factored in, we train for it, but like you said, you know, the single engine only, it's a piston engine and you only have one of them and we don't really talk about it. So you can't climb on one engine, Lee? So it's, what do you, you mean? You can't climb on one engine if you lost an engine. Who? who in, in your, in, in the Lear. In the Lear? Yeah. Oh yeah, 100%. Oh, you can? I just said, see, you guys don't even listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was talking about a piston single engine. Right. Yeah, in a tur- in a transport category airplane. Yeah, after V one, like I said earlier in this episode, after V one, so decision speed is what V one means. We continue the takeoff on one okay. engine. Yeah, yeah, and we can still climb fifteen hundred feet a minute on one it's engine. Impressive. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I thought. I, I just must have misheard you or something. I thought you said you'd land straight ahead. But yeah, now I was talking about the piston, okay. like Rob brought up the point, like you talk about it a lot with transport category and it's kind of no big deal, but here with single engine pistons, those are much more likely to fail and you have much more limited options. We don't talk about it at all. Yeah. We just like, ah, we're going to land straight ahead or we're going to make a 30 degree left or right hand turn depending on what we see. And it's like, okay, that makes me feel warm and fuzzy. And maybe that's all you can do. You obviously have limited options. There's been takeoffs yeah. I've done but, from places, especially like at night where it's just like, this engine goes. I'm just screwed. Like that's just, just dead. Yeah. that's the brief. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've yeah. You accept that risk. Like when I'm gonna I'm gonna go to this. I want to go to this place so bad. I accept those risks on this takeoff. Yeah. You, that's just the way it is. It's it, it's unfortunate. What are you gonna do? I mean, yeah, you're just playing the odds. How safe do you want to be? Yeah. Well, Scott said Spirit Airlines could have a fatal accident. I think. Was it every 3,000 flights and he'd still fly it, but not with his family? Yeah. It'd be fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good deal. <laughs> I think... I, I think... Um, no, I don't know about every 3,000. But, but yeah, I know we're getting... Might have been 8,000. It was one of the two. Yeah. I just edited the episode yeah. today. <laughs> I Coming out in the future. I may, have been, I may have been more buzzed up on that episode, too. So it depends on my level. Yes, of, you're very talk. You were talking, so a, yes. It depends. I it depends on how much alcohol I've had when I'm booking the flight. So I'm, if I'm online, <laughs> because we know you're going to have. If a I'm bunch online when you get on and the I'm flight. checking prices so. and I'm buzzed up, and Spirit's got a cheap one, oh, I'm going for it. I don't know. The next day when I sober up, I might be like, ah, I don't know if I want to get on that plane. But you told Spencer on the the episode I think that releases today, or I, I released late today. Um, that I said in the title, do not listen to this and don't take any of the advice. You told <laughs> Spencer during his CFI check ride to go to the restroom in his shorts as to get sympathy from the DPE. Do you remember See, saying I, that? You know, 
I'm, I may have been, I may have drank that episode. I don't remember, but okay. All right, um, we. That's not we bad advice, though. It's not bad. It's not bad advice. Oh, uh, I I put a warning label on the episode title today. Um, con- concluding thoughts on the brief. I don't. You know me. It's hard to do concluding thoughts. What I do, so which I mentioned on Pilot Ground. For a very in-depth brief, I have a like a little bit, not a mnemonic, but just a memory aid bullet point. I do taxi route, departure runway. Um, so I do T-R-D-A-F-E-S is what, just that's whatever, says nothing, doesn't mean anything, but it just helps me. Ta- so just think about it chronologically. You're sitting on the ramp, all the stuff you're going to do, how you're going to get to your runway, what, one, what runway you're going to use, what departure procedure, your altitude that they give you, your first fix, your engine failure path, which is what we just spent a lot of time talking about, then any specials. So if it's complex, if it's super easy and it's like one taxiway, yeah, we're going to get to runway two and left via alpha and we're going to cross runway one six. Super easy. If it's super complex, just like on an arrival briefing, I'm going to say we're going to land two one left. It's going to be a right hand turn off and then we're going to do what they tell us. Yes, I can't include every single thing, but they could give us five different taxiways. I don't want to brief what I don't know and then reinforce something, and then they give us something different, but we're still in the mode of doing what we briefed. So if I can't brief with pretty high certainty what we're going to end up doing, I'm not going to. I'm just going to say we're going to do what they tell us. So taxing out of the block. So I'm going to go, all right, we're going to taxi two and left via Alpha cross one six. This is Peachtree to Cab in Atlanta. We just did it, so that's why it's, these are fresh in my mind. Um, there's no departure procedure, but the engine failure path is going to be one mile out on the Peachtree VOR. Then a left turn heading one five five. That's our engine failure path. You know, so if we lose an engine, we'll continue the takeoff after V one, of course. Um, we'll do that. We'll board for anything below 80 knots. After 80 knots, fire, failure, loss of direction control. After V1, we're going to take a flying QRH, which is a quick reference handbook. Clean it up, come back runway 21 left, or go on to Atlanta, depending on the nature of the emergency. Weather's good, no specials, any questions, and that's pretty much it. In there, which I kind of skipped ahead, is you're going to talk about your altitude. Uh, so that in that case, they assigned us 3,000. It's really easy when you have all your papers, you have all your stuff there. Here, I'm just strictly off memory, but when you have your clearance written down, you can blast it all off, and it's you're not wasting any time. You're hitting the high points, the things that can get you in trouble, the things that can save your life, and the things that can save you from doing paperwork, like if you bust, you know, violate something or bust an ATC clearance. All right. This episode was recorded live on YouTube. We don't always record live on YouTube, but when we do, we send out an e- I send out an email. That email can be, you can be on that email list. I haven't done this in a while. Um, robertberger.com backslash live. Link is often in the show description, if I remember to put it in there whenever I say this. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you, everyone in the ground crew. Your support as uh, keeps this operation going now. We uh, started a shirt. Thank you, everybody, who has bought one of those shirts. We're slowly selling mm-hmm. those Thank out you. over time here. It's going to be good stuff. Um, possibly do more in the future. Uh, it's kind of a pain in the butt, but people like it. We might do more. Um, Thank you, Lee, for taking care of the design work. I did the coding for the yes, website, sir. which looks terrible. T-shirt looks great, though. And uh, yeah, that's it. Thanks I, for listening, everybody. I, I didn't do anything. Really? <laughs> You're there in spirit. You saw the, the shirt. I haven't even seen the shirt in person yeah. yet. Scott has... Yeah. He tried the oh, shirt wow. on, Okay, actually. Scott, yeah. thanks for your participation. I did try the shirt on, yeah. Thank you, everybody. Take care. Yeah, so I kind of did a lot. Uh, thanks, guys. Later. Later.